0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Chapter 19. That was a new song for me, but so here's what I want to do, Mr. James. Would you put up the next-to-last slide on that last song? I says, I look to the King, immortal, eternal, immortal, invincible God. That was a new one on me. Anybody else that was new to? That was new to me. But let me tell you, that's, that's beautiful right there. And, and I don't know about you when I when I think about how to live in the world that we live in, that's a great purpose statement right there. I look to the king. Immortal or eternal, immortal, invincible God. I stand on the rock of ages. That reminds me of Psalm chapter 61 that says, When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. My Savior, He conquered it all. Didn't He? Man, that's good. That's good. That was new for me, but I was enjoying it. All right, grab your Bible. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. If you would, let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Are you there? Are you awake? Are you alive? Are you ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Amen? It says in verse 28, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that's called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. Verse 31. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away... "...sent, went away, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set it. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Verse 38, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Lord Jesus, we come into Your presence and we want to hear from You today. Holy Spirit, come fill this room, not just this room, but every heart. Give us Your divine voice that we might hear from You, we might feel Your conviction, we might be turned in our hearts, and we might experience the redeeming work of the one true King, Jesus. Lord, we need you. We want you, and we want to leave new. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. "Amen." Please be seated. So, the title of today's sermon is "Jesus, the True King." Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at um, we're going to look at this idea. Of experiencing the real Jesus. And what I mean by that is sometimes we have um, this this picture of Jesus in our mind's eye, and sometimes we don't see all of the sides of who Jesus really is. And over the next few weeks, I, I pray that we would experience him, not just see him, not just understand a little bit about him, but we would experience Jesus like we've never experienced him before. And because we experience him, we would leave differently. That's my prayer. That's where we're coming. So today we're looking at Jesus, the true king. So as we start, that's what we see in this passage, that Jesus reveals himself as king and the disciples and the crowds even hail him as king. But what I want you to understand today as we dive in is that the Bible is a story of kingship. We were created to know the king, to love the king, to serve God, the one true eternal king. We were created for that purpose, and that is exactly what happened when Adam and Eve were created and put in the garden. They loved God. They served God. Jesus, or God, was their king All was right in the world until Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. And I want you to understand that sin was not just when God told them what not to do, and they disobeyed God, but sin was when mankind rebelled against the reign of the one true king, and they desired in that moment to be their own kings and queens. They desired to be their own rulers. They rebelled against his lordship. And from that day on, each of us has been seeking something or someone to serve. That is who we are. You're going to find something to serve. We talked about it in Sunday school class this morning, that we've all been created to serve something, someone. And if we can't find out who that is, we're going to find something to fill the void in our lives. In Egypt, the Bible reveals... In Egypt, Israel served the false gods of Egypt. And God revealed Himself through the plagues and the Passover. And in the wilderness, He gave them the law. And there was a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. And God was revealing Himself as the King of Israel. And they were brought back to worship the King of Israel. And in the, the wilderness, even though it was good for a little while, in Exodus chapter 32, they... Moses had gone up on the mountain a little too long. And they created a king made of gold in the form of a calf, and they bowed down and worshipped it, and they thanked it for rescuing them from Egypt. And so Israel comes into the promised land and and instead of doing what God commanded of them in the promised land, which was to live as a distinct people, Israel came into the promised land and say, they said to God, God, you see, all the nations around us, they've all got a king. We want a king like them. We want to be like the nations. And God said, I didn't create you to be like the nations. I made you distinct. I set you apart as my chosen people. I don't want you to be king. And they told Samuel the priest, give us a king. Samuel went to the Lord and said, they want a king, God. And God said to Samuel, it's okay. I want you to do what they've asked of you. I want you to give them a king because, Samuel, it's not you they've rejected, but it's me they've rejected from being their king. Samuel gave them a king. The first king was not such a great king, the second king was a king after God's own heart. And then, over the course of Israel's history, there were some 40 kings in the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Some were great kings. Some were evil kings, all of whom, every king that Israel had, failed to fill the need in Israel's heart, failed to do what they hoped that the king would do. They would hope the king would bring protection, and all these kings failed to do so. They hoped that the king would satisfy. All the kings failed to do so. So God made a promise to David. One day, he says in Second Samuel chapter 7, one day I'm going to bring about a new kind of king to rule over Israel. And he will be like David, a man after my own heart. And God goes on to say that he can be like that because he has my heart. And he says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that he will not establish an earthly kingdom, but he will build my kingdom. It goes on to say that he will build a house for my name. And many people would say, well, that's Solomon, right? Solomon did build a house for God's name, but did that house last? The answer is no. It says about the king who would come, that his kingdom would have no end, and that God would be his father and he would be a son to God. And so what we see is in the Bible, there is a longing for a king. A longing for a king. And Jesus comes in the passage that we're in to reveal himself as the coming king. So mankind has been created to serve and worship a king. And I want you to know that if not Jesus, you and I are going to find something to worship just like Israel. We're going to build golden calves. We're going to uh, raise up people to sit on thrones in our heart and our life. That we're going to set our hope upon. And guess what? Every one of those things or every one of those people is going to fail us and leave us as empty as we were in the first place. Amen? We're going to find something to serve if it's not Jesus. And it it could be comfort or sports or recreation or achievement or success or possessions. And we will serve them and give our lives to them, hoping that we could be satisfied, but we're still going to be hungry and thirsty at the end of the day. Or we'll find someone to serve. If it's not Jesus, we're going to find someone to serve. And listen, we're guilty of finding lots of people to serve. It could be spouses, spouses make bad kings for our heart. It could be children, bosses. And worst of all, the worst king I've ever served was me. He is a tyrant. And he's let me down more than anybody else has. I've never been let down worse than I have let myself down. I am my own worst enemy. See, we've been created to serve the king. It's ingrained in our hearts. Have you ever noticed that's why we love stories about good kings? I think of just a few offhand. I think of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. We love those stories, don't we? I love reading stories like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia to my children. And we have just eaten some of those stories up about a good king. We're in the middle of The Lord of the Rings. When I mean in the middle, we've finished one book, we've got a long ways to go, but it's about a king. We love stories, epics about kings. We do. And each one of us, we have a throne in our heart. And like it or not, we're going to find something or someone to enthrone on that throne in our hearts. And we're going to try to find them worthy. But on this day, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and He comes to the Mount of Olives and He looks over Jerusalem. And I want to show you what that might have looked like. Look at these pictures. So this is... In 2020, I know it's a little dark there for you to see, but this is looking from the Mount of Olives. Down you see the green kind of band in the middle. That's the Kidron Valley. And all the way on the bottom right would be the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can look up across and you can see the Temple Mount. And, and you can see the Islamic place of worship that sits where the temple used to sit and he would have looked out across that view here it is a little closer you can see the temple a little better the temple mount a little better and i want jesus came into bethphage and bethany and he looked down over the hill across the valley up to the temple mount and he was coming into jerusalem there's one more picture this is the road that Jesus would have ridden down, it obviously wasn't paved like that, but this is called the triumphal entry road. And it comes down the Mount of Olives, and we had the privilege to walk that road where most likely Jesus would have come and enter or go through the Garden of Gethsemane. We crossed a very busy street and went into the Temple Mount. Okay, so Go to that next slide and just pause, Mr. James. So here's what I want you to imagine. Jesus comes up to the Mount of Olives and he looks down over the valley into the Temple And This is what he, he says. He, he tells his disciples, listen, I'm not going to walk these last two miles. I know I've been walking my entire ministry, but I'm not going to walk these last two miles. I'm going to ride. Can you? Who rode into uh, Jerusalem? on a steed. Who was that that would have done that? Kings, David. They would have ridden in. Solomon would have ridden in. Kings would have ridden in. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to walk these last two miles I'm going to ride in. Can you imagine what they're thinking? Finally, Rome has been here for far too long, and today Jesus is going to make it all right. The king's coming. They were so excited. They were so excited that that Jesus is going to ride in. And they go, okay, we got to find a big white horse for Jesus to ride. He says, you see the donkey over there? They say, you want to ride the donkey? No, I don't want to ride the donkey. See the donkey's colt right next to it? I want to ride that. You want to do what? That doesn't make any sense. See, kings ride big white steeds. You're choosing a colt? And thing's never been written before. You're going to break that thing, Jesus. All right. Just imagine if Jesus were running for political office today, somebody might say of Jesus, you need an image consultant. You're not going to win the election by that, and riding in that way, right? He says, no, I choose the donkey, not just the donkey, I choose the colt of the donkey. Why? Why? Because in the scripture it said the Lord has need of it. What does the Lord have need of it for? Because Jesus is about to fulfill a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10. Let's look at it on the screen. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Ger- or Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, says that the king will come into Jerusalem not on a steed, not on a war horse, but on a foal of a donkey. And then it goes on in verse 10, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. I'm going to cut it off. My king's not going to ride a war horse in. And it says, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What's his reign going to be described by here in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10? Peace. He's going to be the king of peace. In Luke chapter 19, look at verse 37 and 38. It says, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus, the true King, has come not to make war, but to bring peace To bring the peace of heaven to earth. How is it? How is it that Jesus makes peace? Jesus, he does not come to make peace by overcoming his enemies, but by dying for them. It's not the peace that this world can imitate, but an eternal peace with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. How does Jesus make peace? peace. He makes peace by dying on the cross for the sins of rebellious man, all the sins that we have committed trying to enthrone a king in our hearts. Jesus heals in an instant. He dies for there, and he makes peace with God for everyone who would trust him. Are you with me? Jesus' rule was a rule of peace, and his peace would be declared he would speak peace to the nations. His rule will be from sea to sea. And the Pharisees, they rebuke him. They rebuke Jesus for his, and for his disciples. He, do you hear what they're saying? Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? They're calling you king. They're worshiping. I want you to note that Jesus doesn't stop them. Jesus doesn't stop them, which is problematic. It's problematic Because either Jesus is a heretic who is accepting worship, He's accepting the declaration that He in fact is the King that that the Jews have been waiting for, the promised King, the Messiah, the Christ, the Chosen One, the One who would set Israel free. He's accepting their praise, which is problematic unless He is who He says He is. It's very problematic. But he doesn't stop them. In fact, he says, listen, if if they don't declare the truth of my identity, the rocks that are uh, along the road, the rocks that make up the road, they're going to begin to do it. Because, because, Because they can't help but do it. They were created to declare my praise. I want you to see in the passage that Jesus is the true king who has come to bring a reign of peace to those who would enthrone enthrone him in their hearts. What no other king, whether it's a person or a thing, what no other king could ever accomplish for you, Jesus can. What are you longing for, looking for? What need are you starving for? What what are you hungering for that you cannot get satisfied? Let me tell you, if you will come and bow the knee to Jesus, He will satisfy all your longings. Jesus will bring All of those things in full measure under His Lordship, Jesus will satisfy our longing hearts and fill our empty souls. He's the true King that we've been waiting for. Not only is He the true King, here's the second thing that I want you to see in this passage, He is a transforming King. He is a transforming King. There are two examples of how Jesus is the transforming King. Now listen, as I was preparing for this sermon, my mind was absolutely blown by, by what God revealed to me through the Scriptures. Two examples of how Jesus transforms. The first one is in verses 39 and 40. Okay, It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't, remember, don't forget, here's what they were saying. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He says, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And most of us would think, well, that's beautiful. Isn't he exaggerating a little bit? Isn't he just trying to make a point? And he is trying to make a point, but that's not all he's doing in saying that the stones will cry out. Jesus is talking about a theme in the Bible. In the Bible, sin didn't just cause individual problems and pain. Have you ever noticed that your sin doesn't just cause you pain? Sometimes it causes other people pain? Are you all awake out there? Christopher, I need you to go get the shock pad thing. We're going to need that this morning, okay? Listen, our sin doesn't just cause, cause us pain. Our sin causes others pain. And it's not just individual. The fall in Genesis three brought brokenness and sickness upon the entire world, even God's creation. That's why chapters like Romans eight says creation groans, longing for redemption. All of creation is groaning. That's why Jesus, when he's talking about what's going to happen with the end comes, he does mention a lot of cosmological natural disasters that will take place. Why? Because creation is groaning in longing for the redemption of the sons of God. Sin is not just an individual problem. Sin is a cosmic problem. It's cosmic. It's so much bigger. Ryan, are you just making stuff up based on one verse? No, let me prove it to you. Isaiah chapter 55, which talks about the kingdom coming. It says... For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What's going to happen? Creation, before God, when He comes, creation is going to break forth into singing and the trees are going to clap their hands. Psalm 98, verse 7-9 through says, Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Psalm 96, 11 to 13 says, Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. That's very poetic, Ryan. Sounds like poetry. No, it's, this is a truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That under the lordship of Jesus, the true King, all creation will be restored to fulfill their original intended purpose. Even the stones, even the trees, even the mountains will cry out at the coming of the King of Kings. Now listen to me. If that's what's going to happen to the stones and the rivers and the trees and the mountains, how much more should we be restored by the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our heart, how much more should we fulfill our intended purpose, which is to bring glory to the name above every name? Have you ever heard me fuss at you about singing a song with your words and not with your heart? This is why. Because when Jesus is my Lord, He restores me to accomplish what God created me to do. Well, Ryan, I just don't like worship. You're going to hate heaven, brother. You're going to hate it. I just assume you not go there. We were created for worship. And Jesus Jesus is saying, when I come, when I come, my coming, my kingdom, my lordship, my leadership will restore creation. And therefore, it should restore you. Our hearts should be filled with the desire to praise Him. To declare as King of kings and Lord of lords. The second example in the Scripture is in verses 35 to 37. Let's read verses 35 to 37. It's talking about a colt, remember? There's the the colt. Verse 35 says, And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on it, on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As He was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives... The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Now, I want you to imagine, uh, we, we, we got to go to, to the foster's house not too long ago, and, and they have a, a pony. I can't remember the pony's name, and, but they let our children ride around on the pony for a brief minute um, in their little pasture, and it was super fun. But this pony had been ridden a bunch imagine if you or I were driving down the road and we saw a group of wild horses out on the side of the road and we thought to ourselves, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to catch me one of those guys and I'm going to hop on it. Now, what happens, because we're, we're, not, we're not cowboys, what happens if you or I try to do what Jesus did, which is to ride a, an unridden colt through a screaming group of people who are praising Him with a loud voice, what happens if you and I are going to do that? Do you think the cult's going to look look up at us and go, where should we go? At your service. Of course not. There's going to be neighing and biting and kicking and bucking and it ends with me on the ground going, ow. Right? Right. But that's uh, that's me. Why was that happen? But Because before you can ride a horse, you've got to do what to a horse? You've got to break a horse. Same with other animals. I train my dog, and try, I'm trying to train a cat, but Lord, help us. Lord, help us. See, they have to be trained. In other words, they have to be broken before they're useful or domesticated. You have to break them of their wild nature before you can ride them. George Whitfield, he was a, a preacher in um, the early English colonies uh, up, up north. George Whitfield said, Have you ever noticed why do animals naturally run from us or bark at us? He said, Because they know you have a quarrel with their master. But here Jesus is. Jesus is climbing aboard on the bad idea train, it seems. This is going to go badly. Can you imagine what his disciples were thinking? The donkey? All right. No, the colt. It's never been ridden. Mm. I don't know, Jesus. And he gets on this colt and he's riding through a crowd of people that are yelling and praising and and even those who are screaming rebukes at him, how did Jesus do that? Question, did he break the donkey? No. Listen. Listen to me. This is beautiful. When Jesus got on that donkey, he did not break that donkey. But when Jesus got in the saddle, he healed that donkey of its fear. he healed that donkey. The little donkey was calm and steady on the road because it had Jesus in the saddle. How much more should we be healed of our fears, to be calm and steady on a road that is treacherous when we have Jesus in the saddle with his hands on our reins. See, Jesus did not come to break you, but to heal you and to restore you. See, every other king Breaks you so he can, you can serve Him, but not this King. This King does not break you. He heals you to serve Him. He restores you to fulfill and accomplish your God-given purpose. Why is it then that so many people remain broken? Why is it that so many Marriages remain hurting. Why is it that so many churches are dying? Could it be that it's because we have not let Jesus into our saddle and we have not given our reins to Him? Jesus will heal what we give Him to heal. He will not force His healing upon someone who wants none of it. Could it be that we are resistant to give the saddle and the reins of our lives to King Jesus? I want you to, I want you to hear this phrase. The transforming work of Jesus is about His lordship, And his leadership. Saddle and reins. He sits in our saddle as king, as lord. He takes our reins as leader. And the transforming work of Jesus hinges on his lordship and his leadership. So many times we are left untransformed immature believers we have walked our entire lives with him but yet we are babes in christ why it's because we have not surrendered our saddles to king jesus and our reins to his leadership we are resistant to lordship and leadership none of us like being told what to do amen just me huh Have you noticed that when we surrender to Jesus' lordship and Jesus' leadership, Jesus can take us to places we don't really want to go? Have you ever noticed that? Anybody ever been on a trail ride on a you know, horseback? You get on a horse and you, you, one horse follows the other. you ever been on one of those? I always ride the really stubborn horse. Anybody ever with me? You know what I mean? My horse is the last one in line. There's five others in front of it. And then my horse does this number. See, I I could just sit back. If I could put my feet up, I could put my feet up for a while, but then my horse starts veering off course and I go, whoa, Nellie, come on back. Because the horse began to take me where I didn't want to go. And have you ever noticed that when you surrender to the, the lordship and leadership of King Jesus, he takes you sometimes in places you don't desire to go? And what's our natural tendency? Get out of the driver's seat, Jesus. I got this. There was that song a few years ago that was made popular. Jesus, take the wheel we know. Go, no, not anymore, Jesus. I got it. You get out of here. You get out of the driver's seat. You can be my co-pilot, but I'm driving. See, I want you to know, listen to me. Listen to me. Sometimes we miss out on the blessings of His kingship, of His authority, of His lordship, of His leadership, simply because we're unwilling to, to surrender the saddle and the reins. To the only one deserving of the position. That's true in our individual lives, and that's true in our church sometimes. That's not where I intended us to go. Let me bring it back. I I know that's what I see what the Lord's doing, but I'm gonna bring it back. That's that's not very comfortable for me. I see where the Lord's leading, but I don't want to go there. I want to go on the straight and narrow. And Jesus says, No, sometimes the path is windy. You'll surrender to my lordship and my leadership, you'll never be alone. I will take you places you never intended to go, and we will do things that you never intended to do, but at the end of your days you will be more satisfied than you've ever imagined. But that feels weird. Surrender. And I just want you to hear that Jesus has not come to break you, but to heal you. But before he can do that, you've got to surrender. You've got to let Him climb up into your saddle and you've got to give Him your reins. And when He does, He will heal you of your fears. What sin do you struggle with? What wound in your life still bleeds? What are you waiting for Jesus to do but He hasn't? Have you? Ask yourself, have I surrendered the saddle and the reins of my life to King Jesus? Are you willing to admit that maybe you resist Him. As individuals, we do it. As churches, we do it. Why do churches fight and grumble and close their doors? Why? Because although they might name Jesus, they haven't crowned Him. They haven't given their church to his lordship or leadership. What could Jesus do with a singular individual who was surrendered to his lordship and leadership? I'll tell you, you use a guy like Paul. And Paul's not perfect, but use a guy like Paul where he says, I've preached the gospel everywhere in Asia. Everywhere. You mean everywhere? He goes, Yes, everywhere. Not a town hadn't heard the name of Jesus. Wow. Use a lady like Lottie Moon, missionary to China. You want to see how God could use somebody who was surrendered to His lordship and leadership? She made a difference in China that still goes on today. There is a movement of believing Chinese followers of Jesus because of her ministry A hundred plus years ago. Why? Because you got a, a little lady, a little lady, surrendered to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. What could Jesus do with a church that was surrendered to lordship, his lordship, and his leadership? There is... We can't even fathom what God could do If we would let him get in the saddle and let go of the reins. Is it going to get uncomfortable? Yes. But will he do far more than we could ever imagine? Yes. Last week we used a phrase and I'm going to close. Last week we said, you've either got to crown Jesus as king or crucify him. you got to crown him or kill him. Those are your only two options. You can't come to Jesus with just a, a casual like. I like him. He's all right. He's a good guy. We could hang out some. can't come to Jesus that way. He's either got to be your king, or, or you need to kill him as a heretic. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. And, and oh that we, oh that you and I, would surrender our saddles, and our reigns to King Jesus. And let Him do with us and through us what we could never imagine to do. Oh, that we would surrender our churches to King Jesus. Don't resist Jesus, the true King. Let me tell you, when you surrender to Him, He will never meet your expectations the way that you assumed He would meet your expectations But He will never let you down. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Crown Him, crown Jesus as King in your hearts today. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And I'm going to ask you to consider as as we spend a moment in prayer, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? We we've created a culture that, that doesn't like movement in this moment of invitation or response. But guys, none of us have it this together. None of us have surrendered. Perfectly to King Jesus. We've all got growth in our hearts. We've all got things and people fighting for that throne in my life. We've all, we all have the tendency to take the reins and sit in the saddle and lead our own lives and be the kings of our own destiny. But today, if you're here, Jesus is giving us the opportunity to start afresh. And only you can make that decision. Oh, how I wish I could make it for you, but I can't. Maybe today as we spend a moment in prayer, you'd say, this is what the Lord is telling me to surrender. This is the thing that fights for the throne in my heart. And I want to lay it down today. And I want to surrender to Jesus' lordship and leadership in my life. That donkey has a story to tell that nobody else can. Father, would you work in our hearts today? Would you lead people to respond to you today? to take the next step of what it means to surrender to You today? Would You convict and lead and remind us that our sins are forgiven not through what we do, but because of the blood of Christ? So we don't do this so that You would love us. We do this because You do. We don't do this so You won't break us we do this because you haven't. We surrender because of the mercies of God. We lay our lives down a living sacrifice. So help us, Father, to lay our lives down before you in surrender. Ascend to your throne. In my life, in our lives, and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, feel free to move.